We are back for the 11th episode of the Spot Burn Podcast. We're working hard to get as close to weekly as possible with these episodes as of late. So stay tuned for more regular drops. If you want to stay in the know, please be sure to subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts or YouTube. We greatly appreciate it. That way you'll know when a new episode drops. But today we got our usual suspects in the studio. We got myself, Dan, owner of Musky Fool, and the man, the myth, bam, 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 the man, the myth, the legend. We're back. We're back. We're back. Today's episode is going to be all things fall musky fly fishing. You heard it. It's that time of year. Colors have started to change a little bit. Nights are getting shorter. Fourth quarter of musky fishing in the upper Midwest is here, and we are excited. We're going to cover tips for finding fish, techniques, and some common myths, mistakes, as well as answering a few user-submitted questions. As always, big thank you to everyone that supported Musky Fool and the podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you watch and listen. But quickly, sponsor plug. Big shout-out to two brands we use nearly every time we go fishing. Cortland Line Company, makers of some of the most innovative fly line on the market. We just received a couple new samples of a line they're working on. 700 grain. These are special, so we're going to hopefully put those to work very soon here. And Stealthcraft Boats, makers of a full lineup of custom river boats. All these products are made right here in the United States of America. Go check them out. Go show them some love. Cortland Line Company and Stealthcraft Boats. Before we get into the uh, meat and potatoes, let's give a little update, Bam. What's uh, What's been happening? Holy cow, you and I got to finally fish together. Felt like a year. Took way too long, but that was a load of fun. Unbelievable. New lake. We hadn't fished together all season yet. We went up there. We are getting a little cranky a little whiny that morning but man dan you really pulled through with that clutch musky within the first three hours of being on the water on that new new lake yeah that was definitely the tale of the tape was we had uh we got maybe our mentally a little rusty because i think what it felt like that was an eternity of fishing uh and it was <laughs> barely three hours <laughs> So it, it goes to show, just stick to it, stick to it. But yeah, we, uh, Josh and I, um, man, we have to plan so much nowadays because we're busy fellas. You got a guide calendar. We got musky fool work we're both doing. We got our own fishing that we're trying to do locally. So we, uh, we planned a little day. I got, I got the hall pass from dad duty to uh, go fishing. We got literally one day though. We drove up that night, got a nice hotel room. And had one day to make it happen on uh, on a new lake. So more more to come on that. We uh, were able to get quite a bit on film as we start to really embrace that endeavor. It's a whole new whole new piece to the puzzle. Catching muskies and making sure all the camera gear works as you're catching them. <laughs> if it wasn't already hard enough. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They're usually pretty camera shy, so that must have been a musky influencer or something. Exactly, exactly. Looking for those likes, those sponsor plugs. Yep. We we just we did joke though that we just have to now uh, before we go musky fishing, we just have to write down what we want to happen on paper because we had to write down 
all the different uh, shots we wanted to get for some cool pieces of content that we've been working on to all sorts of stuff. You'll, you'll see it coming out soon, but we wrote it all down. It was like a big to-do list. And at the top in bold was catch a muskie. Uh, <laughs> and now I guess it just, that's just how we're going to go about it. Now we're just going to write down. You just have to will what you want into existence. Uh, but anyway, other than that, man, it seems like we got a pretty busy, I don't know about you, pretty busy month, two months ahead. It's, it's go time here. Musky fishing wise. It's go time at the shop. We just moved into a new, the bucktail bunker. Um, that was over Labor Day. We're expanding inventory. We got a full calendar of guide trips over the next 60 days. It's kind of like you kind of, you wait all year for this time of year and it's here. And then you're just like, oh my God, it doesn't stop. And then we got tree lands at the end of the month. It's like, it's crazy, but we, we wouldn't have it any other way. No, sir. We were just looking the other day with kind of talking about tree lands. A couple changes this year. Not going to give too much away. Because as that as we get closer, the strategies start brewing. But major, major expansion in the uh, the boundaries. If you didn't think there was enough water, there is a lot of water to fish now. Basically, a quarter of the state. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Josh? Are you a fan? Not a fan? Like the old-fashioned way? Yeah, I like both sides of it. On one side, you know, it really makes everyone think long and hard about where they're going to fish and come up with strategies, not only for where are the best bodies of water to hit during the tournament, but how are you going to get that float trip done during the day and still make it back before check-in that evening. So there's a lot that goes into that. And then on the flip side, it is overwhelming. You can easily start second guessing yourself going into that tournament with a pretty clear cut game plan. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe we should consider going this other location that could be an hour away, you know? So it's, uh, it'll be stuff. interesting to see how much we run into folks like everybody, because typically there's a little bit of that, mm-hmm. especially on some of the popular haunts. But I mean, this year, seemingly no one could run into each other um, with, with how much is out there. I mean, everybody could have their own lake if they wanted. Oh, yeah. Everybody could have their own section of river. So, but excited nonetheless. It's always kind of a pinnacle time when you get back up there. Treelands Resort, right on the the famous Chippewa flowage. Um, I know we're excited. We hope to see some of you all there. But we got a big one today, as we normally do. We try to keep uh, keep it under two hours, uh, so our wives are still happy with us, and so our listeners don't all disappear by the end. But we're getting into uh, it's officially fall here in the land of giant muskies, in the land of muskie fishing. We're going to go into it and uh, try to bite off quite a bit today. So we're really hoping uh, there's a couple things, at least maybe one or two that you take away from this, but be sure to leave us feedback. If there was something we didn't cover, we can always cover it in another episode. Um, if you have questions, you can reach out to Musky Fool uh, on email, give us a call at the shop. You can hit up Josh and I individually. We are happy to help. We really, really want everybody to have a successful fall. Quite frankly, if you judge things off of the incoming intel we get at the shop on social media, it's been a little quiet, quiet year for for the fly fishing folk. 
So hopefully some meet some magic is brewing for fall. Um, I guess the first thing I'm going to just set the stage a little bit for too, because we did bite off a big topic, Josh, is like fall is really one big period, you know, from September, October, November, December. And when you look at that on the musky calendar, all that can be lots of different things. It's not just here's what we do in fall. That's almost too boilerplate. So a good way to break this down is to think about it in three major stages. Right now, early September, you really have that kind of summer to fall transition. Early fall change is afoot. Um, you know, you still have weed growth in the uh, lakes. Uh, you might still be in some of the summer flow conditions in the rivers. Then you quickly kind of get into mid-fall or peak fall. And I think the easiest way to think about that is like the month of October. You know, it started to get cold, but it hasn't started to get disastrously cold. Um, and then that leads us very quickly into like the end of the season, which is the cold kind of pre, it's like winter fishing effectively, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the way up until the buzzer. And, and I think how we approach each of those definitely can change no matter where we're at. Um, fishing, you know, the last week here in Wisconsin has been warm temps. I mean, we were sweating our butts off over the weekend and then fast forward three months and we'll be freezing our butts off. So be sure to pay attention to that, um, knowing that all fall musky fishing advice does not equal success. I think time of year matters a lot. So, and then lastly, my like other piece of boilerplate info, and if curious if you have anything to add, is this is this is musky fishing with a fly rod, without a fly rod. There are no rules. As soon as we set a rule and we say this is where fish are, they're gonna stick us one big middle finger and do the opposite. Um, so I, I think we're attempting to kind of cover topics that actually will hold their weight in certain situations and conditions and water bodies and not just leave you with a bunch of kind of nonsense noise. There's a lot of musky noise out there. Do X, then Y, and then you go do X 10 times and it never works and you're left to wonder. So mm -hmm. that's what I got to kick us off. What about you? Anything kind of high level that I missed? Pretty much, Dan, spot on. I mean, the longer we do this game and, and everyone else out there can attest to this is the more you realize you don't know. You learn new things every season or they throw you a new curveball like a uh, muskie eating a uh, topwater bait in the end of October. Or you're, you're supposed to be fishing a giant deep hole, but you pick one up out of a really shallow bank like that's a, that's a really good point, though. And I think if you zoom in on that, it's almost one of the most important points of musky fishing is there's so much knowledge out there about what to do this time of year, how to fish Lake of the Woods successfully, how to what seems to matter the most and like contributes to the most success for any individual is like the most recent. You know, if, if we're going to sit here and talk about river fishing but our rivers are super low and you are at home have a river that's been high all year, the advice is going to not really apply. So I think what Josh said is spot on. You, you kind of learn what you don't know. And then you also learn kind of within the year. Mm -hmm. so maybe weed growth is really good this year. Maybe there's bait fish populations that were better or worse. And um, that stuff I think can almost trump everything when you get into the, you know, the nuts and bolts of it. Mm-hmm. So kind of on that topic, I think myth, we're going to start with a myth. Myth number one, it's fall. 
and I think yeah, if you if you don't know, this is when most people do say, "Oh, it's time to go musky fishing." Fall. Some people even say, "This is when I start musky fishing." You know, and a lot of that is because of the the feed bag and the big flies and the deep water. So one one kind of myth that I wanted to talk about was that fall is exclusively about big flies, deep sections of water, and slow presentations. Doesn't mean that those things aren't relevant and part of our repertoire in fall. Um, but I think there's this kind of what we were saying, there's this common theme. We all do it too, to kind of get in these one dimensional musky traps. If I just do this, if I just fish deep holes, I will catch them in fall. Um, and I, I think we know that's to not be true, you know, sure. Specifically on deep water, I think the myth is that don't just exclusively focus on the deep water. Deep water is almost the magnet, but that means that the fish, especially the actively feeding fish, might be near or adjacent to that deep water. There might be, you know, a shallow seam or a shallow weed edge or down timber that gives them access to deep water, but they're not just sitting in the deepest part of the river or lake. Definitely not the lake. Um, and, and usually not the river. Um, and I would also say, like, why we kind of related to that myth, why we like this time of year is also because of it condenses muskies a little bit more. At least as you start to get into peak fall and, and late fall, where they are reduces, you know, they're not everywhere like they seemingly are in summer. Um, but I think the, the myth is that we're not just fishing deep, we're not just fishing big flies, and we're not just fishing slow. We are doing those things, but if that's all you're going to do, I think you're going to miss a lot of action. You're going to miss a lot of potential bites. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think, Bam Bam? Yep, I agree with all of that, Dano. I've literally never caught a muskie on what I would consider a big fly or what a lot of people consider a big fly. So I fish a lot of double Buford size flies and all of my biggest muskies have come on something that's relatively in that ballpark. And like you're saying, uh, this time of year is a great time for locating a certain muskie and that, uh, boar or sow usually sticks to that one location. So there's definitely been falls in the past where we've seen a nice fish either followed or we hooked up with it and we could go back a couple times throughout the fall season and, and target that specific fish. Yeah, that, that kind of speaks to like two dimensions, which is like the importance of recency in musky fishing and then the importance of almost like that territorial seasonality. Like if you have historically good musky spots, this time of year frequenting them like if they were good last year there's a good chance they're going to be fished there this year and then like what you're saying specifically if you locate fish this time of year and not a lot changes you know water levels don't drop yep. or go crazy high those spots almost become kind of like circulating engines like there seems to always be fresh fish coming into them or fish even just staying there. You know, we had one period a couple falls ago where there's a giant fish that just hung out in the same 20 by 20 spot for almost a month. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's a very good point. And then I think last comment on that deep water, because we get a lot of questions. 
like, I, again, I usually am telling people a lot. I'm not just fishing the deepest spot at the bottom. Um, I'm using that as a piece of structure so I know, okay, I'm in the right area of deep water. What do I mean by deep water? Usually in a river, five to eight feet is pretty darn deep. Um, so if you have a good spot like that nearby, almost every inch of that water can be holding them. You know, it might be the shallow sandbar, might be the, you know, the riffle, um, might be the log jam, but knowing that they are almost gravitationally pulled near that deep water. And then secondly, just to kind of flip around here a little bit, because you brought it up, we had a couple, we're going to layer in some of these questions that we got as we go. Um, you mentioned big flies. Someone asked, at what point is a fly too big for fall? And they, they did caveat this by saying we can't say never. So I wonder, wonder what your thoughts might be on that. What point is a fly too big? Well, I've heard that, that an ESOX can attack prey like up to a third of its body length. So if you're looking at like a 50-inch fish, that's somewhere in the ballpark of a 15 to possibly a 20-inch prey. Something like that. I don't think you can throw a big enough fly physically for it to become too big. Maybe with a two-hander, you could start getting up into a 24-inch, 30-inch fly somehow. But even then, I wouldn't put it past a, a huge muskie smoking that thing. Yeah, I, I, I really, I don't think, I agree with you. I think, I don't think the fish put a ceiling on how big. I think... Well, okay, I, I will say I do believe that. But let me start with, like, I think the human body with a fly rod limits. Like, even I think what we found recently is we fish giant flies on two-handed rods that are allowed to cast them. So first you have, like, can this rod fly be casted? Mm -hmm. And as you introduce some of these big, stout two-handed rods, or honestly, even as you start fishing them on gear rods, um, the next limit that you then hit is swimming them I mean, if you fish a 20 inch fly and you finally figure out how to cast it out there stripping it back to the boat is a whole nother problem you know it, it hurts it's very good point it, it really it beats you down almost faster than the casting will and That's, then the second point it's not a boilerplate but i think i don't know where it originated from i don't know if it was him but willen um is the one i remember talking about the potato chip theory that he has, which is, you know, big flies, big baits, they do work, but you also will encounter fish that are not there for whether it's like they're full or they already ate or they're just a little bit less aggressive. And the theory goes like if I, if you just had Thanksgiving dinner and I came through with another plate full of mashed potatoes and turkey, you might say, no, thanks. But if I came by with a bowl of potato chips, you're likely to grab one. And I think that is a good thing to think about for musky fishing. I agree mm -hmm. with big flies have the ability to lure fish out that you might not have seen to give them something worth chasing or worth being territorial about. But they also may prevent a fish from and being enticed they, they just might be too full so i think that's where that reading of the fish come in if you've thrown some big stuff and they're coming out on it but slow and you can't really throw anything bigger well there's only one way to go and that's to downsize um so it, 
I genuinely think our in summary there, like you can't 24 inches, 30 inches, a big muskie can eat that. A 50 plus inch muskie can eat that. I think it's going to be like a matter of what you can fish well, cast well, swim well. That's going to limit that. You know, if you if you're not casting and swimming a 24 inch fly very well, you're not going to fish well. You're not going to see muskies. You're not going to catch them. Downsize for sure. Um, I think even us when we're like talking about big flies, you start getting up. You start approaching 20 inches and you're getting a little ridiculous. Yeah, it can be fun to be like, hey, look, I tied this fly. Josh, check it out. But it's not the go-to. You know, I think big for us, you know, is 16 to to 18 um, is really that big, big fly. So I think we we hit a couple things there, which is good. Um, Myth number two, myth number two, we, we briefly talked about this, but I, you often hear it's all about the feed bag. Fish are putting on the feed bag in fall. And um, I think it's kind of like a half myth. Like there's some truth to that, but that is not why we feel musky fishing can be so awesome in fall. It's not what gets me excited. Um, more so because in Wisconsin, the feed bag really starts pre-spawn as they're really fattening up and we don't get to target them that period of the year what's what's really the driving i think the driving things that we find is leading us to success in fall outside of just like this feed bag mentality is what we said about condensed fish you mentioned it too josh when we go from summer where fish can almost be holding in what seems like anywhere that gets reduced in fall you if you find fish you're likely going to find a lot of fish in that area and if not that you will find a lot of fish in similar structure Um, you also have some of the seasonal bait migrations and just in rivers especially these fish are moving out of their summer haunts back into more of their winter dwellings so it it's not something that's necessarily going to drive your fishing or at least i don't think it will but this fall feed bag you know maybe we just need to stop saying that because I don't know that it scientifically adds up to what we actually see with musky behavior. Like the fishing is tough actually in fall. Would you not agree? It's it's not like it's all day action, at least mid and late fall. Yeah. It's a character building experience. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I would definitely say I see the most muskies between June and mid to late September. You catch big ones late season, but I think a lot of that is because it's all of a sudden it got a little, little bit easier to find where they are. Mm-hmm. Just like spring, kind of the inverse. Uh, what else do we have? Myth number three, and then we'll we'll stop the myth buster portion of this episode. But the shittier the weather, the better. Have you heard that one before when it comes mm-hmm. to fall fishing? Yes, sir. You might disagree, but I kind of find that to be a myth. It doesn't mean I'm not looking, you know, crappy days, not getting excited. Um, but it's it's kind of that time of year where water temps are at a certain range. Fish are happy. They're going to, they have to do the eating portion at some point during the day or some point during the week. It doesn't mm-hmm. just have to be sideways snowing and shitty. I think, I don't know about you, but I'll just speak for myself. When I get a chance to go fishing between September, October, November, December, and like conditions, water temps, 
air temps, river levels are, are generally okay. I'm going. I'm not like, oh, no, it's it's a sunny day today. Like that just doesn't doesn't register in the uh, the switch to to actually get out and go. It just seems like you got to just give it a give it a, a good shot. Totally agree, Dano. Yeah, we don't have the luxury of picking and choosing the the days that look good on paper out there. We got to go out and and give it our all for as long as we can. And it's important to stay in the game this time of year, which we'll get to on some of these tips. But um, regarding like weather extremes, I have seen a lot of success where a big storm front's coming in. I'm sure everyone's heard that before, but specifically in the fall, you know, if it's bright and sunny, but now you you have a blizzard coming in. Um, I've seen muskies just go nuts for about 15 minutes. Absolutely Mm -hmm. nuts. I would agree. There's something to... We're skipping a little bit around here, but that's that's not the, the worst thing. But like it kind of comes to another little short tip, which is, and we've said this before, but follow the seasonal progression. And this time of year, the seasonal progression is, is when it flips to kind of cold fronts and cold systems and precipitation, kind of the signs of winter coming can be great triggers. Um you know, not not like the warming trends that we follow in the spring and the in the summer. So definitely definitely look out for those on the calendar. Tough tough to do it with musky, but when you get, you know, if if I'm looking at the calendar and you could tell me which weekends that was gonna happen and then I knew for a fact that there was gonna be a cold, shitty period of weather coming through at the same time there was a new moon. Absolutely. We're getting excited about that. It's circled, we're calling off of work, canceling everything. Um but, you know, that being said, there's a lot of big fish just caught on bland days in this time of year. Um, not always the case when we're talking about summer fishing. So definitely a little bit of a change. Um, all right, let's kind of get into some tips and tricks, tips and tricks. So one kind of concept that I wanted to cover was turnover and like what it is, what we do with it, how we react to it and how we use it into our advantage it's it's to to start for those that don't know what turnover is you basically um, in lakes that are deep enough to have a thermocline a thermocline is gonna be almost like a line uh, usually anywhere from 15 let's say to 25 feet plus down uh, where you have different levels of oxygen and different temperatures and that creates kind of a, a line in the water where there's different densities of water and almost separates it. In the summertime, you usually have your warmer water above the thermocline, cooler water below. At some point on lakes that have these thermoclines in fall, think big, bigger systems, deeper than 20 plus feet, that thermocline is basically going to disappear and mix everything up. And it can really make for tough fishing. Uh, I think it's it's something that has been talked about long before. You know, we're not the first to talk about thermoclines and, and turnover, but I think we might have a unique perspective to how we approach it. So the general rule of advice when this turnover period happens, and a good way to spot that is, um, again, lakes that have a thermocline and are deep enough to have it, you can usually find that in summer on your electronics. Water temps then get into that like mid to low 50s. 
that's usually a good indicator to start looking out for it. And then I think the best indicator other than tough fishing is the system just looks like it was all mixed up. You know, if, if it was a, if it looks like it just is all, there's junk everywhere in the water, there's debris. Two days ago, it was a little clear and now it's all muddied up and there's leaves and algae and sticks and all sorts of stuff everywhere. Um, good indicator that things have mixed and that river or that lake, excuse me, is turning over. Once it turns over, like pre-turnover can be great. Post-turnover can be good. Right in the middle of it, you want to avoid it. The general rule of thumb when that happens and you're fishing lakes is go somewhere where it's not turning over. And that's easier said than done. But if the small lakes have just started to turn over, that usually means it hasn't happened on the bigger lakes. So you could go to lakes that haven't had turnover yet. If you're nearing the end of turnover and the bigger lakes seem to be in turnover, you know, that might mean the smaller lakes have already turned over. So go target those. And then I think where we put our unique spin on this, um, I just seem to find like the toughest part about turnover is that it seems like it's a perfect time of year to be catching them. Water temps, air temps, moon usually. So you're just like bummed out that the lakes are kind of like written off. And that's, I think, when it's just an awesome time. I don't know about you, but awesome time to be on the river. It kind of seems like when the rivers blow up a little bit. It kind of happened last year at Treelands. A lot of the lakes were turnover, turning over and the rivers were not, and the river fish were happy as a clam. So really kind of quick, nothing, nothing super special about that one, but definitely watch out for it. I think there's a lot of people that still get stuck out there on a, a lake that they love and it's middle of turnover, and you've really just made it very hard for yourself. Good time to focus on rivers or, or find a, a different spot, different lake to fish. All right, finding muskies in fall. This is kind of a, a topic we get asked about quite a bit here. Uh, we have a few questions about it. Josh, I want to maybe have you start with finding muskies in fall and rivers, you know, kind of beneath the first layer of the onion. What, um, what areas, what things are you looking for? And then what are, what are some things that people might not find to be the most common advice in that, in that realm? I got you, Dan. Uh, well, previously we touched base a little bit on, uh, the depth theory and all of that stuff. Um, throughout the year in the summer, like, especially in the hot months, it seems like those fish are gravitating towards shallower aerated water, like in, you know, rapids or tail outs of rapids, things like that. Or and they're or stuff like that. Yep. Yep. They're going to be really close to wood. They really like the wood in the summer, like especially the peak of the summer. But then, like you said earlier, they're going to start migrating and uh, gravitating to deeper holes or adjacent to deeper holes and things like that. And when you are fishing these water columns, fish everything. Fish the fish really deep at the bottom of the hole. You can try different speeds down there. Uh, but a lot of times these predatory fish, they always like to move the bait fish towards the top of the hole. So I've seen muskies smoke, um, you know, a very shallow running subsurface fly in an extremely deep hole in the river. So those are the types of areas on the river that we're, we're typically going after. We're going to be finding really slow, um, slow, deep water. And then 
that could include the middle of the channel. If you have a part of the river that's really slow and deep, uh, don't be afraid to fish that and, and start trying to say, okay, there's a current seam out here. Maybe they're sitting on that. It might feel, you know, a little weird at first, like you're just casting into the abyss, but they're definitely down there. Yeah, that's a good point. And it makes me ask this to you as well. Like with the really three years in a row of low water, what have you seen change come fall time? You know, what have like, they still have, are going to relate to certain areas, but what have you, you know, found yourself fishing more mid river? Have you found stuff farther upstream downstream or, or anything that stands out? That's like really started to highlight itself as major differences when you have low water in these river systems come fall. Oh yeah. It has, it has been frustrating because like you've had all your go-to spots for the last several years or whatever. If you've been in this game for a long time, you're like, okay, I know it's uh, September, October. I'm going to go hit these spots. Well, that might have been true when the river was consistently at the average level. But when you've experienced three or four years with a river that's extremely low level, you have to go find new spots. And the contour of the river could have changed over those seasons too. So there's a lot of factors that go in it. But like you, like Dan was saying earlier, once you find these fish and locate them in the fall, you've typically located a new holding area as they transition into the winter. So throughout your career, start banking those. Like, okay, during the, the low water years, they're probably going to be gravitating towards these types of spots on the river and maybe a medium or a high water year they're going to be down here or up there some people even say fish in the winter they like to go hold under dams or retreat back to a lake so that's something to think of too you know if you're just fishing in the smack dab between a dam and a lake on a section of the river maybe try to favor one side or the other maybe one day go focus on all the holes or the hole underneath the dam or fish lower down the river where fish might be retreating back to a lake or a reservoir or something. What about um, kind of a two-parter on the rivers? Like how does, does finding bait kind of trigger your spidey senses this fine time of year, like big schools of it. And then also like, how do you, how do you locate these deep spots and, and is that just experience over time, electronics, sticking your rod in the water, a little bit of both? Um, what what pointers would you give that someone could kind of take to really any river to locate some of this structure? Yeah, I think a lot of these bait fish uh, go to these deeper holes, and that's what's causing these muskies to want to be adjacent to them, or if not in them, or on the backside of them, you know. Uh, sometimes it is like clockwork. If you have electronics on your boat and you find a huge ball of bait fish, try casting or, you know, working right in the middle of it. But chances are those, those, uh, predatory fish are going to be flanking those bait fish. So try the sides of that big deep hole, try, you know, the tail out of that section where it's still pretty deep, but it's transitioning up to uh, a shallower spot. So they might be pulling off bait fish that are retreating back out of that hole and picking them off or something like that. Uh, sorry. What was the other part of that? Kind of yes, it, like kind of following the bait and are you doing that? And it sounds like the answer is absolutely. And I think yep. tougher in smaller rivers with electronics, you have to use your eyes a little bit more in the shallow rivers. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Seeing, 
seeing what's down there. We would, well, I know for a fact on some of our shallow rivers in fall, like if we, we would float over bait because it was clear, shallow enough and it was almost like stop the boat immediately. As soon as you saw the first couple, you know, mm -hmm. bigger suckers or, you know, whatever it may be, because there was going to be something near it, something kind of plugged on it. Last question on that um, kind of river fishing. What, like we talked about deep holes, but what constitutes like a prime spot for you this time of year? Deep plus X, Y, Z, you know, like what, what separates just any deep water from the deep water spot? And you can't say dams. That's the only caveat. Okay. <laughs> Man, I really light up when I see a deep, slow moving water with foam on the top of it. Foam is typically an indicator that that water is really slow and it's safe for fish to hang out and amb ambush other prey fish and whatnot. If you're seeing a lot of prey fish in there and you're not getting a lot of musky activity, that might be a little sanctuary for them. So you need to figure out a spot adjacent to that and start thinking like a predatory fish. Like where are they going to hide to ambush one of these guys when they're, they're yeah. hungry? That makes sense. Yeah, things like that. Me, yeah, it makes me think of like Jordan, everybody. how there can be these deep, good, like uh, kind of combining two things that you've mentioned, like how seasonality will change spots and then how there can be spots that have all those things, but they just seem devoid of life. And I think there's a little bit of a tendency to keep trying them. I know there's a fish here. I know there's a fish here. But if you, if you really don't have any bait and you haven't seen any muskies and – there's, there's probably a reason, and we've seen it on our river systems that are big enough where spots that held fish for multiple seasons in a row, there was a big change, and it just doesn't seem to produce. It doesn't mean there isn't one or two, but that spot used to just have piles of them. And um, for some reason, you know, low flow, flood, uh, movements, fish populations, you know, that just it's, it's not there. And I think it's that time of year where you do have to be careful fishing dead water because those fish if they're not there they're somewhere it sounds like a really dumb point but this isn't like summer where you just keep pounding away and knowing you're going to encounter one eventually yeah i think the spots i wouldn't fish if that helps too is i wouldn't fish rapids this time of year like as it gets later or really really shallow water things like that fast current that might help kind of yeah. dissect it yeah. and reduce especially it. like the long sections of fast riffles and there's nothing deep near it and yeah that makes sense yep um a little bit on lakes then i guess just uh like where are we finding them so it goes without saying for all season long but especially in fall as it picks up follow the wind um this wind is going to be a staple in wisconsin in fall and use it to your advantage you're gonna especially when you can see it changing and creating current on the surface and when that wind and current on a lake kind of the wind blows the current hey what's up jordy he's back he <laughs> likes being on the podcast um when that wind hits major structure points big rock humps bars peninsulas bays um, that can really be a magic formula also like to target some of the deeper uh structure if there's deep wood or deep cribs or deep weed lines near spawn structure. This is where those fish are slowly working their way back towards, um, 
you know they're gonna they're gonna hold out in in some of the winter deeper water but they're gonna get closer to their spawn structure especially as we we get into late season and you know spawn to them feels you know only four months away um finding the last remaining good weeds you know i think i'll find myself searching around lakes or even targeting certain lakes that just seem to for whatever reason had good weed growth for the year um just kind of are still holding out and have good weed growth late into the season that just can can make them easier to target and i think all of the fish populations are going to relate to that we will i think a unique bite too that happens in fall and, and does kind of showcase the differences between early fall mid fall late fall is the big cold fronts right now in september late august september um, when there's still really dense weed growth, it can actually create quite a big push of fish to super shallow weeds, mm. like literally fishing in the slop, top water, weedless flies that like, it doesn't seem to be a spot that holds them consistently all year round. But in September, for some reason, um, with the big weed growth and those first cold fronts, that's usually a pretty fun formula to, to find them in shallower water than you're used to. Uh, and then lastly, warm water. I think this is, again, where that seasonal progression changes the most as we get later into the year, mid-fall, late fall, you know, a lot of the lake is going to be colder. If you can find areas of structure that have some of these components, weeds, rocks, wind, and current, and they are a little bit warmer, um, that's that's usually going to produce a little bit more active fish than you know spots that have stayed a little bit colder so the warmth can be our friend that time of year um i think same on the lakes as you talked about on the rivers we're following bait this is especially as the weeds die off that's when i'll really start paying more and more attention to the bait on the electronics because they can be in what seems like random areas it's not just all weed related there's not a lot of weeds left so big schools of bait walleyes suckers um can start to pop up and kind of create structure within structure. And then much more easily, I think, found on lakes because there's usually not as much year over year change as previous spots, kind of that fishing journal, you know, knowing at this time of year, at this water temp, fish start to show up in these spots uh, on certain lakes. That's, it's tough if you got nothing to go off of, but as you start assembling that, this is a really important time, I think, to look back on previous years, previous catches, previous encounters of fish. Um, you might not know why they're there yet, and that's to be figured out later, but know that they're, they're likely going to be back. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Um, all right. So I think we kind of covered that. I'm just looking at our notes. Well, big topic. If you have questions, this is one where specific information can be more applicable to certain bodies of water, certain time of year. But I think those are some genuinely good tips and um some some differences to how we're targeting fish from summer to fall uh i i talked about it we had a, a big mistake that i see anglers make i wrote a note here and i think this is just to re-emphasize it this is a time of year where there's a few spots they're gonna hold fish on the rivers and lakes find those spots spend your extra time finding those spots and start crossing off all of the other water there's a lot of water that will not hold them they're not as spread out as they were in summer they are much more concentrated especially as we get near the end of the year september can be the transition month for both the season and the fish post turnover 
into those colder months, those fish really start to concentrate and we start to run shorter floats that focus on certain areas more. We focus on less areas on the lakes and certain lakes because we really, we want to know where they're at. And hopefully we've accumulated some of that information in the previous seasons, previous months that lead us to really focus on our A spots and then try to cross off as much as possible that that isn't going to constitute that all right changing gears a little bit we're gonna we're gonna do a little talk on fly patterns and then we got some questions and some quick tips that we're gonna hit and try and rapid fire um but let's talk i'd love to hear your thoughts on you briefly chatted at the beginning but like talk to me about how you think about fly patterns um for this time of year you know early fall into and maybe what changes as you get later in the season, both how you're swimming them, how you're fishing them, you know, gear setups and uh, types of patterns that you find yourself coming back to. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I don't really fish a lot of jumbo stuff as I would call it. It kind of maxes out around that double Buford size, maybe a little bit bigger too, but I'm definitely not throwing anything smaller than that for the most part. Um, so yeah, so what are we talking like 12, kind of 12 is the sweet spot for you. 12 is the sweet spot for a multitude of reasons. Uh, we kind of covered those in a previous episode, but the, the quick story is you can fish them very effectively. You're not going to blow out your arm. Uh, you can cast them a mile. And, uh, when you get a, when you have to strip set one, there's not a lot of friction in the water. So some of these gigantic flies is what I have the biggest problem with. It takes so much energy to cast them. You, you can't be that accurate when you're trying to pound bank. And the casts are so laborious that you miss shots while you're floating down the river. And then I've even seen hookups not made because there's so much bucktail friction in the water. So that's personally why I like to fish some of the smaller flies like that. Um, I've had success with game changers, big old musky game changers in the past, uh, Bufords, double Bufords. I probably stopped fishing top water like in October, but I know there are guys out there that are fishing some top water. a little water. bit later than me even. We did get some questions about that. Let me uh, flip over. Yep. Um, while, we, while you're on it, uh, so first top water action in fall, talk, I mean – you kind of gave your thoughts. I would be almost a little more conservative on my end. I usually like September is kind of the end when that cold front shallow weed bite happens. Top water's great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, early in the mornings on some of the warmer days in fall can be great. Some of the, you still, you're going to get a lot of moody weather in September as you get the fall and winter system start to move in. I don't find myself, honestly, I could probably leave my top water boxes at home October, November, December. Might be a mistake. Definitely room to prove me wrong, but mm-hmm. it's not part of my equation uh, when the weather gets, you know, let's just call it water temp sub 50, 55 degrees. Yep. Uh, do we want to go down some color rabbit holes really quick? Yeah. Before we do that, we had one more top water question, though. That's just okay. related as we, as we, drive the car all over the road today okay um, deep up folks it's a crazy one uh, um keeping top water flies afloat so someone had reached out asking do we have any tips how are we fishing top water flies you know and talking about line leader and the fly makeup itself to make sure it stays floating mm-hmm. 
Well, typically a musky fly should float pretty well on its own. Even if it has a, a full sink line, it's still going to want to go towards the surface, when, even when you pull it underwater. But you shouldn't really have that issue very much if you're fishing a proper musky or pike fly on a floating or an intermediate line. And in fact, it is fun to fish topwater flies on intermediate and sometimes full sinks because you get this really aggressive diving motion with that fly versus it's just skidding across the surface. So yeah, experiment with some stuff. Um, if you're into tying flies, try, try tying some flies with multiple bits of foam on them and see what yep. that does. Drill holes in the, in the heads of your flies, see what that does and, and mess around with little tangigram shapes. Yeah. And I think I would, I would agree with you. I'd only kind of add a layer, which is like, it depends which top water, you know, if you are looking for a true, always stays on top, you can't, foam is your friend, use foam. I wouldn't go much more aggressive than an intermediate line, but typically with an intermediate or floating line and a lot of foam, that fly should almost always stay up. Um, if you slow the strips down, it's going to take a little bit longer to come back up to the surface. Like if I take a full floating foam fly on a floating line, it's going to pretty much stay there. If I put an intermediate line on there and I really work it quickly, it's going to stay floating the whole time. It might start to dive down a little bit as I kind of spread out the cadence of strips. All of those can be effective in their own right. Just depends what you're really looking for, you know, um, we do stay away from deer hair as floating material just because it seems like it just wears down and it's not as durable and doesn't keep it floating as much as just pure foam, whether that's a block or a popper head or a slider head. Um, and then, yeah, what Josh said, I, I, I don't, it's a different presentation than a pure top water, walk the dog or chug action. But when you get that fly to, really aggressively push and chug a lot of bubbles and water as it rips down on a full sinking or intermediate line and then wiggle back up. That can be an awesome, slow, methodical way to, uh, to work and kind of entice eats. Yep. Maybe not late season, but definitely in, in good topwater bites. So and don't, how to don't keep it afloat, add foam would be my number one. Yep. I totally agree, Dano. And don't forget to figure eight those top water flies. Some people think just because they're not, they're fishing a top water fly, they don't want to figure eight it, but that's not the case. Figure eight that thing. Agreed. And I would say, Josh might think differently, but I try to match my figure eight to my presentation. So if I'm fishing that top water fly all the way back to the boat and it's pretty much on the surface the whole time, I will keep that presentation through my figure eight, keeping it on top, kind of plucking it around my eight. If I'm doing a lot of chugging and dive and rise, then I won't be afraid to submerge that fly and kind of dip that rod tip down in the figure eight. That being said, if I am working a top water fly, kind of pop, 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 pop around on the top of the water in my figure eight, and I have something interested but not committing, a good way to get those fish to commit is to dive it down. Um, so good tips there. But let's go, let's keep, let's keep the fly pattern train rolling. Um, I guess talk to me your thoughts about color. We we often say that color doesn't matter, but for a brief moment in the musky universe, let's talk about it. 
Real quick, my thoughts on colors. I don't like a lot of blended colors. I like solid contrast. So whether you're using an all solid colored fly, one color, or two colors uh, with a really sh sharp contrast between the tail and the torso, something like that. I've had a lot of success on that. And specifically, black and orange. I love black and orange. Yep. I guess I won't... I, I don't have strong thoughts on color. I know people want to hear them. I... I mean, I guess I'll tell you what I've been liking lately, which is like the, the Wisco flames and peaches and oranges with a lot of hard contrast to blacks and browns. I definitely fish an all white fly or a lemon tail fly. Uh, da, da, da. You know, the browns sucker patterns. I think that computes in my head, but I don't know that it matters a whole lot. What I will do less of in fall with fly patterns is dragon tails. For some reason, I find a lot more success on those fishing them more aggressively uh, in the summer months. Mm -hmm. And then in the fall months, I really like I'd, I'd prefer a bigger, more willowy feather profile that has a lot more hang and pause. Um, it seems like the longer you can get that fly to hang up in a corner on a strip, um, the more you get some of those enticed eats. Doesn't mean I won't fish it aggressively to the next pause but when i get to a pause i really like it to, to be big and willowy and hang there and then kind of rip it again to the next one so aggressive to a pause um i kind of answered that question oh i guess talking about how i've I, I i don't know about you but when i'm fishing flies this time of year i definitely do opt for bigger 12 plus inches not really bigger than 18 and I think until we find out what's working for the day, because it can change so quickly in fall, sometimes they can just be so fired up, it surprises you. And sometimes you really need to kill it and almost sucker fish those flies, just dead, dead and swinging almost. Uh, if you got two folks in the boat, you know, have one start fishing aggressively, have one start fishing really slow and methodically. We've seen that work, um, you know, and we've seen that, usually at least alert us to information that we should either both be fishing slower, maybe meet in the middle, uh, or both get more aggressive. So I, I would, um, I would agree. I also, if I, I think this is the time of year where I will, um, definitely consider adding more egg sinker weight or at least some, some deeper running flies and fishing them slower. I don't tend to fish them a very slow in the summer i tend to use that weight to get me down but allow me to fish fast deep this year i'll use it to really get down and fish slow deep when i need to not not doing that all the time but that's a quick quick little overview of how we feel about flies this late in the season i i think what you're also maybe hearing from us that went unsaid there was so much more, more emphasis is put on the where and the when and the presentation than the fly pattern. If you find fish, find good chunks of fish, active fish, you're approaching them, you know, in the right spots at the right time of day, the fly almost seems to get gobbled up no matter what it is. Um, so put so much more emphasis on that as opposed to rifling through your box to figure out which fly it might be keeping in mind a lot of these flies swim similarly to a muskie where and when seem to be much much more important variables this time of year all right 
Let's round her out. We got some quick tips. Man, I'm such a Wisconsin boy. I spelled quick tips, K-W-I-K. Like quick, quick trips. Quick trips from quick <laughs> shit. Quick tips from quick trip. We do go to quick. Quick trip is a great spot in uh, no matter when you're fishing for muskies, but especially in fall because they're open all the time, all year long. They have everything you need to stay nice and toasty. We are not sponsored by quick trip, but maybe we need a quick trip quick tips quick section tips. of the podcast if you're listening uh all right i'll start and then you uh we'll, we'll try and rotate here gear tip uh this is a good time to go back through all your gear replace your leaders check out your fly line check your knots check your stay locks your swivels your snaps you've been fishing them hard all season you're approaching the fourth quarter where the giants start to hit the bag don't let gear be the reason you screwed up um, if you're using fly lines that you used in the summer you might need to stretch them out a little bit more i would also recommend paying attention to the temperature grading on your fly line i use a lot of summertime lines tropical lines in the summer now that we get to fall colder temps there's a lot of lines designed for that time of year Cortland, especially their pike and musky series um i think above many struggles in the summer it really is much better in the colder months of winter. Same with like the sonar musky from scientific anglers. Uh, so checking, making sure you're doing any final tweaks, gear prep, checking knots, adjusting your fly line. That's my number one quick trip, quick tip. Wow. Love it. All right. On to the next tip, folks. The best pair of gloves to wear in the cold months is bring three pairs of gloves. Uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, unfortunately, there's there's been no manufacturer out there that's created the best pair of gloves on the market. They're inevitably going to get wet because you're stripping this time of year or you're an idiot. You drop them in the river or something like that. So always bring multiple pairs of gloves. You'll thank me later on that one. When it does get extremely cold, uh, you can turn to nitro gloves, uh, which are kind of those fancy surgical gloves. They're like latex or you get latex free ones if you got an allergy but those will keep your hands super dry and you'll still have the tactile feel on your line. That's important. Number three, bring kitty litter on all your trips. Yeah, you heard that right. Kitty litter. It is great for uh, kitty litter and a shovel. It's great for late season boat ramps get icy. That can be dangerous. It can keep you off the water or get you in a bunch of trouble. Trouble. This will help uh, quickly thaw out those boat ramps and make them less slippery. Yeah, Number four, Josh. Uh, giant muskies feel like rocks and logs when you hook them. Don't F it up when the calendar is getting tight. Strip set those big girls all the way to the net. Seen a lot of big a lot of big fish miss this time of year because somebody thought they were stuck on a log mid-river or something. So hook sets are free, y'all. Oh, that's so true. You're not going to get the crazy, ferocious screaming out of the water sometimes, but, man, it – is that is that is the best tip I've heard today Ugh. about fall fishing. All right, the next one, uh, I'm going to skip that one because we already talked about the seasonal progression and go into the next one, which is something special about last light in fall. Mid-fall, late fall, that last light period, that last couple hours of, of daylight, it's the warmest time of the day. That can be the window. Uh, especially when that aligns with precipitation, storms incoming, moon, solar, lunar periods. Um, 
it's tough because you can be i know it i've been there you've been grinding it out all day you're cold you can't feel your hands your boat partner's whiny and wants to go home that last last period is still worth your shot especially if you've had a few interactions throughout the day go back to them last light ball yep all right next tip on our quick tips quick trips situation (laughs) find active fish folks you want to be really proactive as the days are getting shorter you just got to get out there and buck up for those several hours you're on the water and, and have this opportunity before the off season so cover water locate fish get some of those big girls phone numbers and come back to the to the big ones and uh, especially on a big weather change or like Dan was saying on last light is a great overall strategy for the fall. Not time to give up in the ninth inning. Keep grinding. Uh, last quick tip, figure eight. We say it all the time, but this time of year when we're targeting deep water, slower, lethargic fish, bite windows that can be tighter, they come out of nowhere. They come out of nowhere. You're not going to necessarily see the follow, see the flash. You might if you're lucky. Uh, but again, you're in the ninth inning. You don't want to, you don't want to go out on an easy error. Just do your job. Keep figuring, make it count, actually swim it. Not some lazy half-assed dangling with the fly. Really, really give that thing some life as it comes back to the boat a couple times. And you, uh, hopefully someone shows up, knocks on your door. That's all I got, bam. We, we rifled through it just about an hour some uh some fall musky action we are we're excited over here as we said at the beginning we're gonna hopefully get some fishing in in the next week make a count this is the time to do it um we had fun with this one hopefully there was something that you can take with you and find success if you do let us know if any of this worked send us some photos give us a story if none of it worked let us know we'll scrap the whole musky fool close the podcast the whole nine yards um we're really we're really uh leaning on you to keep us keep us in the know on that one but that's a wrap for fall musky fly fishing tips it was a pleasure my friend until next time thank you everybody and good luck out there go stick a big one this fall thank you for listening to the spot burn podcast coming to you from the dungeon this podcast is presented by musky fool fly fishing co We want to thank our awesome sponsors, Cortland Line Company and Stealthcraft Boats. We also want to thank all of you, our listeners, for tuning in, subscribing, sharing, and spreading the good word. If you haven't heard, go check us out at muskyfool.com. Have fun out there on the water, y'all.